Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History Advocate Hemingway. I am back with Claudine, and today we are talking about a very important woman in French history, Hollande de Gouche, and I'm sure we are slaughtering that name. So French people, please help us out here later. Uh, but we're going to talk about what she did for women's rights in France. And I'll let Claudine take it from here. It wasn't, I mean, she basically did this for like all of womankind. <laughs> we love her. Yeah, she was pretty amazing. And it is Hollande de Gouge. She was born May 7th, 1748 in Montauban. And she was the daughter of a woman named Anne Hollande uh, Molsey. And her father, her mother was married at the time, but her father might have actually been uh, a lawyer that her mother had a little thing with. Drama. So we're not really sure for sure who her parents are. There's a lot of doubt. It's not one of those things like maybe most people think most historians are like, no, her her. Husband, wife's husband, mother's husband. <laughs> it's like it's like Recamier, the the husband, brother, father. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But <laughs> she was when she was born. Her name was Marie Olamp. Her father um, could have been the lawyer. He also could have been the butcher. Who her is where her is who her mother was married to, named Pierre. Um, and Oct- on October twenty fourth, seventeen sixty five. She was married off to uh, Louis-Yves Aubrey de Gouges. He was, uh, she was 17 at the time. He was 47. Eek. And they were married at the Église Saint-Jean-Baptiste uh, in Montauban, uh, just north of Toulouse. In 1766, the next year, on October 29th, they had a son named Pierre. Um, and then the next year, in 1767, her husband, from what all accounts that I found, was that he was kind of a bore and kind of a jerk. Um, you know, he was 30 years older than her. Um, and uh, he was killed in a flood. Oh. Washed away. Wow. Lucky her. Lucky her. So in 1770, she decided to move to Paris um, to live with her sister. She brought her son with her. Some reports said that she ba- he ba- she basically left her son. <laughs> with a family member. So that's, you know, you don't really hear anything about him again. So that could have been the case. In Paris, she ended up meeting a man named uh, Jacques uh, Beatrix de Rosier. He was a director of a military transport company. He proposed to her, but she declined because she had more freedom as a woman being a widow than she did being married. Ah, smart lady. Yeah. She might have maybe gotten pregnant with him 
and had a child that ended up dying um, at a very young age, but they, they're not sure about people. There's no evidence of any of that. There's just some things that you've read say that she might have been pregnant. I read something else that her um, son had a sister that was killed in the revolution, um, but that I never found that anywhere else. So I was like, I don't really think that's probably true because she said that she just had the one son. Um, He gave her a, Jacques gave her a lot of money and paid for an apartment um, just down the streets of Saint-Sulpice. There's a plaque on the building now. It's between Saint-Sulpice and the Jardin de Luxembourg. She was very educated and very well-spoke. And um, she was very, she was sought after company for a lot of people and a lot of uh, that she could have also been a courtesan at the same time. And you know how we love the courtesans. And they're our favorites. They're our favorites. So she um, started writing and she started to write plays. Um, and she even with the money that she had, she ended up owning her own theater company that included a theater with sets and costumes and everything. Her very first play that she wrote was Zamor a uh, Mirza, and it was in 1784. It was a story about slavery in the colonies. Hmm. It never took the stage because she received death threats. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the comedy Francais was comp- always threatened um, with that they were people were going to attack it and burn it down. So it never saw the light of day on the stage at that point. Um, it was from the slave's point of view about the consequences of slavery in the colonies. Oh, wow. She was way ahead of her time. She was way ahead of her time. Again, 18th century. She also wrote about the uh, memoir. It was called The Memoir of Madame de Valmont. It was a fictional autobiography based on her mother's treatment by her father. Mm. She wrote another one called the Les Amours de Charbon, which was very close to uh, Beaumarchais' marriage of Figaro. He con- he accused her of plagiarism. And so this show never made the stage. But she did write things that did get that were in her stage company that just the big ones that she's kind of known for never mm-hmm. saw the light of day. <laughs> They're too controversial. Yeah. So in the same, in the next year in 1785, because of the play of the, the, for the slaves, she ended up getting arrested and thrown into the Bastille for a few days because she was still like, she was writing these things. And so her plays were still getting out there, even if they weren't being performed they were being written and distributed. It's crazy to be thrown in jail for that. Yeah. She became more and more outspoken um, about what was going on in France, especially against women. It started to make a lot of noise about it, printing pamphlets and posters that began to appear all over Paris, hanging on everything. Um, in 1787, she sold her th- her theater and her uh, sets and all of her costumes and just so she could just focus on her writing. She ended up compiling three full volumes of her work. So all of the different plays that she wrote, including the the uh, Zamor, but also another play that did, she never saw on stage um, called Molière et Chez Ninon, which if you remember, we did an episode very early on about Nanine, Ninon de L'Enclos, who was another courtesan at the time. 
Mm-hmm. It was a five act play and it was all about Moliere um, being at the house of Ninon. And she thought that Ninon was this amazing because this is, you know, I think Ninon was like 16th century. And that was the one that her mom wanted her, you know, to marry off. So you had a choice between married to being a nun. And so she ran off and ended up getting, you know, having sex with somebody so that, <laughs> you know, her mother was completely distraught and now she can't marry her off or be a nun. Yeah. <laughs> so she thought, you know, Nina was this incredibly strong, a spirited and, and generous woman. And so uh, a lot like love to keep these real women in her stories because it was also her way of getting the history of all of these other women out there. But she also just loved using them um, in her stories because they were real people instead of just making up characters. She was the original podcaster. Yeah. So in 1789, the National Assembly had published uh, the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizens. What about um, women? It was, uh, yeah. So it was basically just for men, the rights of men. Um, it was inspired by the um, Enlightenment and also on the U.S. Declaration of Independence. Hmm. Might be the first time we've ever had anything from the U.S. and inspired France. <laughs> Yay! The Jeez declaration. <laughs> yeah, the declaration spurred her to speak out even more. She moved to Versailles to be close to the National Assembly. She proposed to the leaders to advocate for the same equality for women, including the woman's right to a, le- a legal divorce without being accused of slander, huh. like so that they could actually speak up in a divorce proceeding. Yeah. Um, a right to education and also that a theater would be set up to, for the plays written by women. Wow. I'm surprised they didn't just hang her. I know. Well, it, it, it she doesn't have a good ending. So uh, spoiler <laughs> at spoiler the time, <laughs> she still supported the monarchy. She even told Louis the 16th that he should abdicate the throne because the voices of the revolution were starting to rumble. Is this, you know, the Bastille fallen, And so she thought, if you abdicate right now, you could probably fend off any other action from swelling. Obviously, he didn't listen to her. Uh, Um, No one listens to women. No. She remained a royalist until uh, Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette escaped on July 20th, 1791, the famous escape. Um, And at that point, she basically lost her support of them. The Society of the Republican um, and the Revolutionary Women encouraged her to write a document that would be dedicated to women, just like the one that was dedicated to men. Mm -hmm. So on September 14, 1791, as a revolution was trying to make um, their changes for the men, um, the making it so that the women were still under the house husbands, you know, finger and under, you know, they were basically speechless. They had no rights. Um, She called for the complete freedom of speech of women um, to be able to vote and also to run for public office. Ah, she's rumbling the feathers. Rumbling. So (laughs) the 17 um, articles were reimagined. Some of them were exactly the same as in the one for men, except for she changed it to women instead of men. she spoke uh, spoke up for women um, that got, but got, of course, got her in trouble. She violated all of the norms that they, you know, they thought you know, she's she's doing. This isn't what she's doing. She can't be doing this. This is not the right, you know, the the way a woman's supposed to behave, which is exactly what she was speaking up against. 
Yeah. So Robespierre, the very big figure of the revolution, didn't take too kindly to her. No, they didn't like anybody that spoke up against them, um, you know, especially just speaking up against them. But she was writing these pamphlets and distributing them all over the place. And she, you know, people listened to her. So they weren't very happy with her. So they slapped her with um, committing treason. Mm. On July 20th, 1793, she was arrested. And um, a few days later, the gendarmes accompanied her back to her house to go through her things to find um, the, just all the different writings. So basically, it was just, let's go there and get evidence against you. On July 25th, 1793, she was tra- charged with having written works uh, contrary to the wants and needs of the people and against those in power. Gosh, how many women have been murdered over the centuries? Yeah, but it's also like against the needs of the people or how about just the needs of men? Exactly. (laughs) But she was able to smuggle in some paper and a pen or, you know, a quill back in those days. Um, So, you know, I don't think they're Sharpies, but she (laughs) smuggled some in and she ended up still writing pamphlets and she would somehow be able to get them smuggled out to other people where they would would copy them and distribute them around. And that just made them even more um, angry. Prosecutors called her a criminal, um, that she had motives to take down the government. Uh, During her trial, she sat there, uh, I guess, shrugging her shoulders and making faces and like rolling her eyes. And so that, of course, was not taken well because she should just sit there and, and be quiet. And so she was taken to the conciergerie on October 28th. Um, and we know that is, of course, from where Marie Antoinette was taking. They called it the anti-chamber of death because oh. once you went there, your next stop was guess where? Uh, uh. The guillotine. So she tried to tell them that she was pregnant because a woman could say if she was pregnant, they would she could be saved. They wouldn't kill, you know, They I guess they had some feeling and thought oh if you're pregnant we won't kill you till afterwards um but a doctor came and they uh, examined her and found that no she was not pregnant and so her march to the guillotine was still on the guilty verdict was dropped on november 3rd and at 4 p.m on november 4 1793 she walked up the scaffold her last words were children of the fatherland you will avenge my death Wow, she was badass. She was badass. She was tossed into the Madeleine Cemetery. Um, she was killed by the guillotine that was at the Place de la Révolution, which we know today as the Place de la Concorde. It was the same one that Marie Antoinette was killed and thrown into the same cemetery just 17 days before. Oh my gosh, back to back. Back to back. So a few of the women um, tried to take up the fight um, going to the assembly, but they were quickly reminded what happens to you if you decide to try to fight the government um, for women's rights. Uh, so she ended up be, ended up becoming uh, basically like the poster child for you don't want to do this. <laughs> oh, great. The opposite of what she wanted. <laughs> yeah. It's nine days after her death, her son, Pierre Orb. Um, wrote a public letter denouncing his mother and all of her writings. He tried to have her name changed um, back to uh, her birth name. 
And less than two years later, on April 11, 1795, he wrote another letter to the convention asking for her name to be rehabilitated and that so that he could inherit all of her property. What a jerk. I know. Quite the jerk. Um, they basically were like, nope, we're not doing that. And um, that little turkey under uh, Napoleon, he was an officer under Napoleon Bonaparte in 1801. He he was sent to Guyana, uh, partially a little bit as an exile. He was sent there with his wife and children. Um, But Napoleon partially did it because he um, didn't like the fact that he denounced his own mother. Wow, even Napoleon punished. Well, Napoleon was a mama's boy. He was kind of. Remember the the painting that's in the Louvre that he mm-hmm. she was not at the coronation, and then he has Jacques Louis David paint her in. So yeah, I think he was a little bit of a mama's boy. <laughs> <laughs> Eighteen oh three, um, on February seventh, he ended up dying of fever in Guyana, um, and so that was just the end of him, and he never got his mother's property. Well, good good little turkey. Um, But in 1944, on April 21st, under a provision from uh, the government led by de Gaulle, who was not president, he, uh, the very first ballot was actually cast by a woman eight days late, or a year and eight days later on April 29th, 1945. A year and eight days So in 1944, they decided this, okay, women could have the right to vote, but it was an entire year and eight days later when they actually got to cast the first ballot. I can't believe it's so recent that we can vote. Like, it's crazy. I mean, 1945, I mean, we weren't alive then, but that's basically like, that's our parents' generation. Yeah, that is not that long ago. That's not. And I mean, when you think of the end of World War II was September 2nd, 1945. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's people, there's people alive today that would have been alive when the first time they got to vote. We've come so far. We've come so far. In 1965, women in France were given the right to own their own intellectual property, which, and before that, 1965, we're getting closer to our generation. (laughs) They were, their intellectual property belonged to their husbands. So think of Colette how Willie, she had a right under his name, George Sand, you know, she had to create that pseudonym. There's all these different women over time until 1965. That's crazy. That is, I mean, more, you know, but basically once you got to the, you know, early 1900s, women could, you know, they could publish under their name, but they couldn't own it. Ugh, that's ridiculous. And the death penalty still went on until 1981. Yeah, the guillotine was still going for a long time. In the 70s, the last like three people, I think I want to say it was 1977, I think it is, that that was the last killing of somebody by the guillotine. Oh my goodness, that's insane. Yeah, but now today, as we just talked last week about Saint-Jean-Vievre and the Pantheon, you know, the Pantheon now has, you know, it's the temple to the great men of France, but there's six women in there now, now that they just added Josephine Baker. But Marie Curie was the very first one added in 1995. Technically, there was another woman before that, but she was added because her husband was there. So they Mm. kind of, she might've been a woman, but they don't count her. (laughs) Because 
Just fall on your husband. Yeah, she and there's a lot of people that aren't very happy about that. But Marie Curie was the first woman to be put into the Pantheon because of uh, because of what she did. And there has been talk um, every few years. It comes up the Olympe de Gouges should be buried in there, but um, it doesn't usually give a lot of traction. But she is very well known. She's got a there is a little uh, uh, place uh, Olympe de, Gar- de Gouges up in I think it's the 11th um but there should be more about her but a lot of people actually a lot of Americans will actually know her name hmm that's surprising yeah because she did a lot for women I mean she did you know she spoke up at a time when when people didn't want to and obviously it ended up in her death at just uh 45 years old gosh that is sad but at least she got her way in the end, very far, far, far. <laughs> they definitely should put her in the Pantheon. Yeah, for sure. There shouldn't be, even be a debate about it. After I get Rose Valland in the pa- Pantheon, I'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who the right to? <laughs> but I was going to do, I was actually, for this episode, I started doing research on Simone de Beauvoir, the writer. Mm-hmm. And I stopped because I kept finding all of these horrible things about her as a teacher with the underage girls in her school. And she kept getting fired from jobs. And so I stopped and I was like, I can't even talk about this. Oh no. (laughs) We're not doing one about her. (laughs) Okay. Well, never mind. (laughs) Yeah. And she's very well known. It's very interesting because she's very well known. She and Jean-Paul Sartre, a lot of times, you know, there's even, um, I think it's right out in front of the Eglise Saint-Germain. There's the Place de Beauvoir and Sartre because they would go to Du Magot and Café de Flore. Um, But it's very interesting because she's renowned for writing these different, you know, she was another huge a feminist. She was another huge feminist that wrote these different books about women and the second sex and how they deserved all these rights. And then when I was, I was surprised because it's all very out there, this information about her getting fired from schools because of having relationship with underage girls and bringing them to her to Sartre because he liked to sleep with virgins. Ugh. But for some reason, it's kind of the Coco Chanel story where it's like, do you, do we just look, you can't look past that. It's pretty horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they just pulled that one right under the rug. Yeah. I was kind of so disgusted with it. I was like, I, I can't actually even research her anymore. I just, this is, I, I just don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> Too bad well at least we know why now <laughs> yes now we know why but we would rather look at olymp and her what she did for women <laughs> yeah we like her more <laughs> well thanks for tuning in guys and make sure you join claudine every weekend for live tours around paris you can check out her website website claudinehemingway.com and also she does tour planning she gives tours so go over to her website to learn more and tune in next week Thank you for listening to Paris History Avec A. Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you could always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U, as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris, or it's lots of fun facts. And then also at ClaudineHemingway.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter there.